glad you're worshiping the Lord with us today. I was just thinking, you know, as we were singing, I, I remember squarely, just clearly, my grandmother singing in the garden, and, and uh, I didn't know the song then, right, I, when I was little, and it was really good. I really wonder, I really do, you know, we think about Rachel singing songs that are hundreds of years old, and what about when we're in glory? You know, when we get to heaven, maybe we're singing songs that are thousands. You know, what's the songbook of heaven going to be like? And by the way, I mean, it's probably worth noting, English might not be the primary language. <clears throat> God is the God of history, right? I mean, he's, he's the God of all peoples. I was thinking this morning, the chapter we're going to read in the Bible today is, is one of the most sensory overpowering chap- chapters of the entire Bible. I mean, seriously, imagine it like this. Imagine you had a dream, and in the dream you woke up. You have that dream, don't you? Right? You dream, you wake up, and you go on with your day, and then you're confused because you woke up, but you're still in the dream. So imagine you woke up in your dream, but suddenly you woke up like in a video game. I, I, I think they made a movie about that, so let's not go there. Um, let's, let's say you woke up, but you woke up in a movie land. Not Disneyland, movie land. All right? Or maybe you woke up in a movie, <clears throat> particularly like Star Wars. Suddenly you're alive and awake and living in the world of Star Wars, Except because it's a dream, it's not just Star Wars, it's Star Wars and Star Trek, which is like anathema, you know? Like, like, and then suddenly, because it's a dream, the world of Lion King enters into the picture, and you're going, you know, Simba, you know? It, <clears throat> I know, this all sounds crazy, doesn't it? This is the way dreams work, right? They're crazy, right? Just want to prep you for what's to come. We're going to look at what might be one of the most serious chapters in the entire book of Daniel, but I would go further to say what might be one of the most serious chapters in the entire Bible. Anybody know how many chapters there are in the Bible? I don't know it off the top of my head. I've heard it, but I, I, you know, I, I used to know phone numbers too, but I don't store those things because I know there's a repository of information where I don't have to memorize stuff, right? So I looked it up. 1,189 chapters in the Bible. I would easily say that Daniel chapter 7, where we'll be today, is in the top 10 of most serious, perhaps most significant chapters in all of the Bible. Because in Daniel 7, God pulls back the curtain of time and space. What Daniel sees is amazing. To get there, I want to bring up suffering in this world. I don't like suffering, do you? You know, I mean, sometimes I suffer because of things like the pandemic. We're all suffering from that and the effects of that these days and the the things that go along with that. Sometimes we suffer because of decisions we make. Sometimes we suffer because of ourselves, right? Sometimes we suffer. I mean, I think like literally, like 
you know, my knee hurts every day. I wonder if that's not because I jumped off roofs a couple of times, you know. Like when I was, back when I was younger and I thought my body could endure such a thing, right? Sometimes we suffer because of other people. It's not just the poor decisions I make, it's the poor decisions other people make. Sometimes we suffer, hard to explain. In fact, some of the hardest suffering in our world is, is when, what, when the innocent seem to suffer, when babies suffer. When young ones suffer. And sometimes we suffer because of the world we live in. The bottom line is, is suffering stinks. I could use stronger language, but we're in church. And when we think about suffering and you ask the people of the world around us about it, some people will say, look, there's just no hope. Because... This world is all there is, and this world stinks. There's just no hope. Other people will say, well, you know what? <clears throat> this world might or might not be all there is. We can't really know. But because we can't really know, there's no hope. But Christians have a distinct worldview. Because our Bibles will tell us that there is real hope because there is much beyond this world. In fact, this world is really just meant to, be, meant to be a reflection of the world to come. It's not because of our choices. But this world is a world where there is meant to be real hope because there is a God who exists beyond this world, and that God is not only aware of the suffering that happens in this world, his hands are literally deeply involved. And certainly God's timing's not our timing. But hope is found in God's plan, in God's timing. In fact, I want you to say that with me, all right? I'll go word by word. Hope is found in God's plan and God's timing. Hope is found in God's plan and God's timing. Now contrast that with where we want it to be. This is not hard. Where do we want hope to be found? My plan, my time. And so like all good human beings, we question, is hope really possible? Is there really a God? Does God, if he does exist, really know what he's doing? Why is his timing so slow? To help us understand all of this, I want to take us to the Bible, to Daniel 7. We've been studying the Bible up to this point, and a significant shift happens from Daniel 6 to Daniel 7. And commentators have noted for a lot of years Right, that the first six chapters of Daniel are largely story. But the, 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 the first six largely story, the last six transition, and there's something altogether different. I mean, uh, theologically, we would call it apocalyptic literature. There's, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of words that go with it. There's a lot of fun things that come up, prophecy and eschatology. And oh, what's the difference between those two? And we, we, Don't worry. You'll be experts in all this. 
Maybe not. But we'll, we'll figure it out as we go. What I do know is that when we transition from Daniel 6 to Daniel 7, we get a shift. In fact, you're going to notice it in verse 2. From third person, meaning Daniel refers to himself as Daniel and calls himself he, right? And it, suddenly it shifts from third person to first person. So the story becomes even more personal. And what Daniel 7 does is it shows us the big picture. Where, I would say it this way. You ever have a beef with God where you just want to argue with God because of some suffering in this world? And you're mad at God about something you're going through. And you just wish that in the big picture, God could just show you. Just, just, what we really want to do is we want to pull back the curtain of time and space, and we want communication to go from us to God, where we give God a piece of our mind. The opposite sort of happens here. But in the big picture, and I, I wrote a really simple outline to help us make our way through the text, because it's so sort of overpowering. That in the big picture, we see four things. Number one, in the big picture, we see that the world devours. The world devours. Daniel 7, verse 1 says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. So just note, we've, we've skipped time here. It, 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 Daniel had made his way to where Belshazzar was no longer king. King Darius was king, if you remember Daniel chapter 6, the whole lion's den story. But now he's gone back in time. So we get a bit of a back to the future thing. Going, just Sorry, I'm on a movie kick or something. In the first year, Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions passed through his mind as he was lying in his bed. And he wrote down the substance of his dream. And you're going to see later that Daniel is like, I don't even understand this. And he's talking to an angel. And he's like, huh? Like literally. Help me understand. I don't understand. And this is interesting to us because for the first six chapters of Daniel, Daniel's the man with the answers. Daniel's the man with a plan. Daniel's the man <clears throat> who, for lack of a better way of saying it, has things figured out that nobody else has figured out. But Daniel 7 reaches a contrast where Daniel, the man who can interpret dreams, can't interpret the dreams. Visions passed through his mind as he was laying in his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked. Again, notice the shift, third person to first person. And there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. So four winds of heaven would be the perspectives of north, south, east, and west. Churning up the great sea. And four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. At this point, the idea of four beasts should sort of, especially the more I read this, remind me of Daniel chapter 2 where you had Nebuchadnezzar's dream with the statue. And you might remember back way like ages ago when we were in Daniel chapter 2 and he had this dream of, of, of four sort of pieces of the statue that made up four kingdoms. So we're getting something very similar here, except with beasts. 
My vision at night, I looked, there before me were four winds of heaven churning up the great sea, and four great beasts, each different from the others, came out of the sea. And the first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. And I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. Hmm. I thought my dreams were weird. (laughs) And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear, and it raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. And after that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back had four wings like those of a bird. And this beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. And after that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. And it had large iron teeth, and it crushed, and it devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. And it was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. And while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it, and the horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. If you had this dream, would you be troubled? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, what did I eat last night? Exactly. This would be like... All the things we would try to express, it would be confusing, it would be, it, 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 it would be soul-shaking, it, it, it would be soul-crushing in a sense, that, that you would be overpowered trying to figure out, what in the world did I do to, to dream that? Four beasts, we later learn four kingdoms, the four great beasts, we don't have to question what the The beasts are, verse 17 later, we'll get to it, but the four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. So he's given a vision of the future, four kingdoms. In fact, when we really begin to understand this prophetically, we begin to see that Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, and even later some of Daniel 10, 11, and 12 begin to, to run in parallel that, that they begin to explain the same things over and over again. So back in Daniel 2, we had the head of gold and the chest of arms and silver and the belly, of thighs, the, the belly and thighs of bronze and the legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. And, and, and you might remember in Daniel 2 that there was this great statue which Nebuchadnezzar probably saw as himself and that, that a rock not cut by human hands would come and mold down this statue and that rock was said to be a kingdom that was coming that would last forever so there are going to be these kingdoms but a kingdom is coming that will last forever likewise we can take what is said here and see with much interest that this is very similar in fact same kingdoms really the first beast being the kingdom of babylon the lion with wings would represent babylon the great 
Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar's kingdom. The bear with the ribs would represent, theoretically at least, the Medo-Persian kingdom. The next, the winged four-headed leopard with all of its speed would represent the kingdom of Greece. In fact, it fairly well describes the speed and swiftness with which Alexander the Great dominated the known world of his day at such a young age. Of course, scholars debate whether these are really the way things line up, and you can read it and disagree with me, and I actually frankly think it's less about the exact alignment of this king goes with this kingdom, this beast goes with this kingdom, and like it's easy to read this and want to solve a puzzle, and once we get the puzzle solved, we go, oh, well, I'm done. And if that's what we do, we have missed the chapter in its entirety. So I really do think that the first beast represents Babylon. The second beast represents the Medo-Persian kingdom. The third beast would represent Alexander the Great and the, Greece, the Greeks, basically. The fourth kingdom, in my opinion, would represent the Romans. And some would say it represents future Roman Empire, not just past Roman Empire. I'm not so sure of that myself because I don't really see a break in time or something of that nature in the text. But what happens here is like good movies, you see one picture and then another picture replaces the next and one beast replaces the next and it just sort of marches with time. I read a couple of commentators I thought said really good things. One said, it's possible to miss the woods for the trees and fail to see that the chapter was written to those who were incapable of of clearly dogmatically identifying these signals that whatever our own identification must be maybe we surely miss a basic thrust of this part of God's word if we regard our task as finished when we solve the identification problem that we could conceivably do that at least to our own satisfaction and still fail to hear what God is really saying to his people that, that's a long way of saying that this reminds me that in Daniel's day, he may not have been able to specifically go, oh, this equals this, and this equals this, and this e Oh, okay, well, okay, well, that, that's all good, because this equals this. Like, he was left in the chapter going, what in the world did I just see? And at the moment where it was most overpowering, something different happens. I don't want to see that. You might think it's a little weird to identify the kingdoms by these beasts, but I would note for you, we still do the same today, right? America is represented by a eagle. eagle thank you. Thank you. Do you know Ben Franklin once suggested that it should be the turkey? Can you imagine the American turkeys in the Olympics? Right? Whether we think about a Russian bear or a Chinese dragon, it's not uncommon through the centuries to associate these beasts with the countries of the world. Again, one commentator wrote, he said, look, the beasts of the present world order may change their shape as the centuries pass, but the violence and the lust for power of the modern world continues just like this represents. 
Nebuchadnezzar turned into a Darius. Darius became Alexander the Great. And then later, Antiochus Epiphanes, the Seleucid king, who brutally oppressed the Jews. Much of the rest of what we'll read here has something to do with that story. These fierce rulers, in turn, were followed by Nero and Domitian and other Roman rulers. You would know this. That their fires of persecution continued to be stoked centuries later by, think about history, the Inquisition, or in the last century, we have Hitler and Stalin. Whether you're talking about Rwanda or Cambodia or many other places in our modern world, we are just beasts to one another. The point is, the world devours in the big picture. It shouldn't surprise us in a sense, because part of what the book of Daniel is going to tell us is that behind all of the evil that takes place in the world is God's enemy, the devil. But let's not equate him at God's level. The enemy does not have the power of God, as we see in these beasts. In fact, what it tells us is not only does the world devour, but the judge decides. The judge decides. Look at verse 9. As I looked, beast after beast after beast after beast. As I looked, again, notice that he is throughout the chapter saying things like, I saw, and as I looked, and what was visible to me. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was white like wool, and his throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze, and a river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him, and thousands upon thousands attended him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And the court was seated, and the books were opened." And that, frankly, should terrify us. More terrifying than the beasts of the world. If we really understand, I mean, I know, I know, I know. We want God to be a loving father, and he is. And we want God to be, we want God to be sort of teddy bear-like. The problem with a teddy bear is that as soft and cuddly and comforting as a teddy bear is, you can set a teddy bear down and ignore it for the rest of your life. But you can't do that with a God like this. And the piece our world really, really, really doesn't like is this idea that God is a judge. Now, I want you to think about how ironic that is, because I could take us a million directions on how we all judge and how we all think we're supposed to be the judge. And if you go down the road of our politics these days, everybody thinks their politics gets to judge everybody else's politics. Judging is just a part of the human experience. So in other words, while we refuse to acknowledge that God deserves to be the judge, we all believe that we deserve to be the judge. Which really, if you think about it, is just us saying we deserve to be God. 
Anybody know Daniel Webster? You would, you, would heard of, you, you, you would have heard of Daniel Webster's most famous collection of resources. Long before Google and the internet, there was the dictionary, right? That, that Webster. Daniel Webster was a highly intelligent congressman and senator with gifted oratory skills. He'd mesmerize Congress with his eloquence, with his vocabulary, Yes, he is that Webster's, is in the dictionary. According to A.W. Tozer, someone once asked him, uh, Webster, they said, Mr. Webster, what do you consider to be the most serious thought that has ever entered your mind? And he said, and I quote, the most solemn thought that has ever entered in my mind is my accountability to my maker. The courts were seated and the books were opened. Apparently, this whole beast to beast to beast thing, king to king to king, is not exactly a game of thrones because this is not a game. But it is about thrones. And I'm going to tell you right up front, I don't have enough time today to make it through this chapter. I'm going to make it through the chapter to the end, but not to fully talk about everything that's going on here. In fact, I'm going to come back to just this section next week and talk at length about who God is and what God is like. And it's important we do so, but for the sake of time, I want to go on and read the rest of the text. And before I read it, I just want to explain that it is far easier to sit on our end and play connect the dots with this stuff than it would have been to have sat in Daniel's seat or lay in Daniel's bed and have this dream. It's number three, the son delivers. The son delivers. Verse 13. You know what? I'm going to back up verse 11. I think I didn't cover verse 11. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful horns the boastful words the horn was speaking. So, so Daniel, if you get this right, sees these four beasts and covers hundreds and hundreds of years of history. And after covering these hundreds and hundreds of years of history, he sees right up to, if I'm interpreting right, the time of the Romans. And then he sees heaven opened and God breaks in, which is sort of interesting when you consider that in the time of the Romans, God entered in, and we celebrate that at Christmas, right? God came near in the person of Jesus. But Daniel, in all his confusion, skips right over all of this about the throne and God and the, like the chariot with wheels. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels. I don't know. I've not seen very many thrones with wheels, but... So he skips right over that, and he goes, but I, I continue to watch because of the, the little horn, the boastful one. And I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire, and the other beasts have been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. And what we get here is that the judge breaks in, the books were opened, and God rules over history, and the beasts were slain. Verse 13 says, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. 
Coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, I want you to understand fully Daniel's day. One, you don't get to see God. If you do, you die. And he has a vision of the throne of God and doesn't die. And you have to understand from a Jewish perspective, there is one God and only one God. And you must understand from a Christian perspective that there is one God and only one God. And yet Daniel sees one coming on the clouds of heaven like a son of man. And he approached the ancient of days. I love that. The Ancient of Days, second time he's told us that, that this one on the throne is called the Ancient of Days. I mean, just think about the eternality of that. And this one on like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven was led into his presence, and he was given authority and glory and sovereign power, and all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Again, I'm just going to say we really don't have time today if we're going to get the chapter to fully unpack that and and please please come back next week because i want to unpack that but let me just note now that when jesus came he was called a lot of things right jesus the christ jesus the messiah christ is greek for the hebrew messiah so it's not a last name it's a title they mean the same thing one's hebrew one's greek they both mean the anointed one which actually does come up in the book of Daniel a little later. But that said, Jesus' favorite title for himself, when he would refer to himself, Jesus would call himself more than anything else, the Son of Man. 81 times in the Gospels, 41 in Matthew alone, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. You might remember like Matthew 8, 20, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Where in the world did Jesus get that title? I wonder. But Daniel wouldn't have found it so easy to identify that this is talking about the future Messiah. What he does see is that beast after beast after beast comes, and suddenly the throne of God breaks in at the time of the fourth kingdom, and the beasts are slain, and one like the Son of Man is brought before the Ancient of Days on the clouds of heaven, and only God rides on the clouds of heaven, and that as he is brought, that everything worshipped one like a son of man. And this should have been insanely confusing to Daniel. But make 100% sense to me as a Christian. Because we would understand that there is only one God, but God exists as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that each is not the other, but there's only one God. And if, if you've got your brain totally wrapped around that as though the, the doctrine of the Trinity is not a mystery, that it's the easiest thing to wrap your mind and brain around, then one, you're smarter than me. And two, you're probably not seriously enough sort of digesting i i would suggest to us if you can wrap your brain around your god your god is too small 
So one comes like a son of man. He comes with the clouds. That's what God does. He is worshipped, this God-man, and he has given a universal dominion, that he has given a kingdom that will never, ever, ever end. And again, this should parallel Daniel chapter 2, where the rock, not cut by human hands, comes and throttles the kingdoms of the world and has a kingdom that lasts forever, a kingdom that will never be destroyed forever. So this sets up just number four, the kingdom dominates. Right? The world devours, the judge decides, the son delivers, and the kingdom dominates. Verse 15. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, you think? And the visions passed through my mind disturbed me. And I approached one of those standing there, and I asked him the meaning of all this. And he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. Verse 17, he said, The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Right? Remember when Jesus came, he came preaching a message that the kingdom of God is near. In a lot of senses, the kingdom of God was near because the king was near. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast. Again, Daniel's obsession is with the beast. Uh, we're not that different. We think that this is like some kind of like, I don't know, you know what escape rooms are now? Right? Escape rooms are sort of these games where you go and you have to find clues. And it's like, it's like playing Indiana Jones, except you're locked in a room somewhere and you get to live and get out if you can solve the puzzles, right? right? I mean, it's, uh, it's Dan Brown meets Indiana Jones meets modern day, pay us 20 bucks and we'll lock you somewhere and maybe you'll live. No, seriously. I mean, we did one of these. Uh, we've, we've done one or I don't know how many we've done as a family, but, but I remember we were in this one once and I'm crawling through this little tunnel space through this little door that had opened and I'm mildly, <clears throat> mildly claustrophobic and we get down into this little tunnel and the door opens on one end and they're like, dad, you should go in there. <laughs> okay. So dad goes in there. I get to the other end and there's another puzzle to be solved, to be locked, to get out of the little tunnel that is like an air vent, you know? Again, I think I'm like in some movie. The reality is it's easy humanly to get where Daniel is and get obsessed with solving the puzzle of Daniel, and we miss the big picture of Daniel. The puzzle is not the point. I would think again about the humility and vulnerability of a guy who could interpret everybody else's dreams, everybody else's dreams, but what he writes down for us is that he was so overwhelmed with his own dreams that he couldn't interpret them. And he had to ask heaven for help. It's good leadership there, actually, humility and vulnerability. Verse 19. 
Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, because he wanted the details, right? We always want the details, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and its bronze claws, the beasts that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. And I wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell and the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And frankly, I'd want to know about the horns too. Because when I have dreams like this, of course the thing, I, you know what, when I wake up from my dreams, I barely remember any of this stuff. I just wake up in terror when I have a dream of this nature. I don't have dreams of quite this nature, but as I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. So get that he's sort of getting it here. That the Ancient of Days came, pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people, the Most High, and the time came when they, the holy people, possessed the kingdom. And the man I approached gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. And the ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. And after them, another king will arise, different from the early ones. And he will subdue three kings, and he will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. And the holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time times and half a time which ends up being this significant little phrase that comes up again you know sort of later in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation and sort of here and there that that time times and half a time is this symbolic sort of nature on one hand of maybe saying three and a half years a period of time that is limited because it is half of seven, three and a half, half of seven, seven to represent sort of God's idealized time. Seven in the Bible is, is sort of God's number, right? It's why 666 is not God's number because 777 is. And again, if you're confused, welcome to the table. I'm glad you're here. I am as well. We're figuring it out. But time times so time one times two more ones right and a half a time would give us three and a half times sort of the half the, the point being that whether it's symbolic or literal that there is some period here where the people of god suffer verse 26 says but the court will sit and this little horn I like that. Yet the Ancient of Days and some ruler who's dominating the earth referred to as just, he's just some little horn. You know, he's just sort of obsessed with himself, thinks that he's God, wants to take God's place, thinks that he gets to just devour everybody else, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. If I were the little horn, this would terrify me. Think this isn't relevant today? Have you read the news lately? The court will sit, his power will be taken away, completely destroyed forever, and the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High, and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. And Daniel wrote, this is the end of the matter. And I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale. <clears throat> 
but I kept the matter to myself. Yeah, I would too. And yet he wrote it down. And he wrote it down for a reason. Like, why? And I want you to notice that what Daniel did is he went back to the small details and he got caught up in the puzzle solving because he wanted to know about the horns. And, and the, the one he went to said, hey, you know, okay, so... Okay, so the fourth kingdom is a fourth beast, and there'll be ten kings, and out of the ten kings will come blah, 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 blah. And you start hearing, like, Charlie Brown parent talk here. Wah, 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 wah. But the Ancient of Days breaks in, and he establishes a kingdom that will be for... It's like, it's like the, this, this messenger is saying, Daniel, you're missing the point. We got a lot of blanks to fill in, so I should get on with this. Here's the one thing I'm trying to convince us of today. I want you to notice that over and over and over, Daniel says, I saw, and I saw, and I saw, and I saw. And when he says, I saw, I saw, I saw, I saw, part of what he's doing is, I saw a beast, I saw another beast, I saw another beast, I saw a beast with horns, and a bunch of horns, and three horns, one popped up, another horn popped down, and they danced all around, did the hunky, hokey pokey. And the... But what happened is, all of a sudden, he saw heaven. And that's the part that mattered, because how I see God changes how I see this world. Because how I see God changes how I see everything else. If you focus on the world, you'll dread the world. I say this often, right? I, I, I absolutely love in our American little eagle sense when every four years we vote on the next turkey. Maybe that's what Ben Franklin meant. I wouldn't want that job for anything. I'm being honest. Right? I've seen what happens to the hair of those dudes. Right? It all goes gray or stays orange, one or the other. I don't understand it. But I don't have enough of it to go gray or turn orange or any of that. I would not want the responsibility of being one of the most powerful people in one of the most powerful nations of earth. Because I would read this, and frankly, every person who sits in that position in every powerful country of the world should read this. And the bottom line is that if I, this is, this is why I say, right, when we vote on the turkey every four years, I, I got ahead of myself. Sorry. I really do have tremendous respect for what we do in American life. Freedom is a great thing. Pri voting is a great thing. Privilege is a great thing. I always say vote. We don't care about how you vote. You vote right, you vote left. We love you here. You're welcome here. We want you here. We're not about that here. But what I would say is that every four years, half of our world, American world, ends up going, oh, it's the end of the world. What? And I often say, hey, but you know what? God is still God. And God's still on a throne. And it doesn't matter who sits at that desk. I mean, it does and doesn't, I realize. But what matters is who sits on this throne. Because how I see God colors and changes how I see everything else. And if I focus on the suffering in this world, you'll dread the world. And if I focus on the pains of this world, I will dread the world. But when I focus on who God is, I find hope that is unbelievable. 
Yes, the world devours, but the judge still decides, and the son still delivers, and the kingdom still dominates. Let me give you some conclusions really quickly. I'm just going to fill in these blanks, make sure we got them. Number one, this is telling us that God is ultimately in control of those who think they are in control. Can't you see that? I mean, I didn't originate that phrase. I'm not sure where I first heard it, but it stuck with me for a lot of years. God is ultimately in control of those who think they are in control, right? Beast after beast after beast. And the beasts think they're autonomous. And the beast thinks they're the next best beast. You know, they're, they're like the next new flavor of ice cream. They're just the next best thing in the world. And God all the while still sitting on a throne while beast after beast pops up. They think they're in control, but God is in control of those who think they're in control. That brings great hope to people who are suffering unto those who think they're in control. Number two, though evil will have its day, God will have the final say. I, I do know who I first read this one from. I, again, I'm, I'm probably not oratorically good enough to be like Daniel Webster. He didn't say this, but a pastor uh, Brian Chappelle said this. He said, though evil will have its day, God will have the final say. In fact, we've really already seen that in the book of Daniel, haven't we? Daniel chapter 2, if you, if you, don't, do, if you don't interpret the dream, you know, I'm going to kill everybody if, if you can't tell me what the dream was. Daniel 3, right? If you don't bow down and worship my image of gold, I'm going to throw you into the blazing furnace. Daniel chapter 5 right? Handwriting on the wall. Daniel chapter 6. If, if you don't, if you, do, if, you, if you pray to anything except King Darius, then you're going to get thrown into the lion's den. This has been the message of the entire book of Daniel, that evil will always have its day, but God still has the final word. And in this, there is great hope. It reminds me to keep my eyes focused where it really matters. You remember last week, Daniel in the lion's den. I showed you that portrait that had, that, that, that had Daniel focused upward rather than back on the lions. We talked about needing to keep my eyes on God and not on the lions of this world. This is the exact same thing. Actually, it's this that really made me think about that. I, I just, you know, I, I do read ahead. Number three, God's people suffer in an earthly kingdom. It's a mouthful, I apologize. God's people suffer in an earthly kingdom that will last a short time, but God's people will receive an eternal kingdom that will last forever. Right? That's the whole thing about the time, times, and half a time. The point of that is that that's short. And he is saying that we suffer under the kings of this world for a short time. But in the perspective of eternity, God's people will receive an eternal kingdom that will last forever. And if you think about it, it's all wrapped around what happened with the Son of Man coming before the Ancient of Days. And the ancients would have interpreted this to mean that if this was about a Messiah, then it's about God coming as a king to dominate the nations of the world. And, and yet Jesus came not as a dominating King, although he is a dominion king, he came as a suffering servant. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's next week. Number four. This should seem very clear. It does to me. There'd be no hope without the ancient of days and the son of man. There just wouldn't be hope. 
I have hope in this world because of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. And I guess the question this leaves me with is, why is it that I'm always looking for hope found in kings and kingdoms in this world, when the reality is the only hope I've ever had is the hope that comes from the Ancient of Days on a throne and the Son of Man who would lay down his life for me? God revealed the future to Daniel, but he did something even more powerful. God revealed the future. Daniel got obsessed about the kings of the future. But what God was really doing is God was revealing himself. That's where hope is really found. In fact, the bottom line for me is that the more I discover about who God is, the more I experience real hope. I didn't even write that one down, but I thought it was really worth writing. The more I discover about who God is, the more I experience real hope, the more hope I feel. When, when my eyes are focused in this world, I don't have hope. But when, my eye, when I see God, how I see God changes how I see everything else, and now I see things with hope. When I was sick with COVID, I barely had the energy to do anything, but as I began to recover a little bit, in that time, one of the things I did is I sat down and I read the book of Daniel straight through, one sitting, which, you know, sounds like, oh, dude, that's like heavy. You know, people read endlessly, like they'll read a half a book in a day and it was this many pages. But one of the things I gained in doing that was an appreciation for how God is referred to in the book. And this is actually why I did it. Because God in this chapter is referred to as the Ancient of Days, which got me thinking about all the names of God in this book. And I would remind us that in the book of Proverbs, it tells us, Proverbs 18.10, in fact, I put this back in your notes, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. You remember that song? Name of the Lord. All right, you don't want to hear me sing. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower, a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and are safe. The reason the name of the Lord is a strong tower is because, because names biblically represent character. It tells us who a person is. So the name of the Lord tells us who God is. And so what I did when I read it through is I went and I made notes about who God is along the way. They just left me feeling hopeful. You want to hear them? And you don't have to. I, we can just shut it down here. You want to? I know. I, I know. I see what time it is. You want to hear them? All right. So I've got uh, 27 different names of God in the book of Daniel. He is chapter 1, verse 9, referred to as God. Chapter 2, verse 18, the God of heaven. Chapter 2, verse 23, the God of my ancestors. Chapter 2, verse 45, the great God. Verse, chapter 2, verse 47, the God of gods. Chapter 247, the Lord of Kings. Chapter 247, the revealer, a revealer of mysteries. He is in Daniel 3, the God we serve and the most high God. In Daniel 4, he is the most high who is sovereign. He is chapter 4, him who lives forever, the king of heaven. Chapter 5, he is the Lord of heaven, the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Daniel refers to him in Daniel 6 as the living God. And actually, remember, third person, Daniel writing the story in third person, refers to him, actually, uh, Darius does, as the God of Daniel when he issues that decree that everybody should worship the God of Daniel because he rules forever and ever. 
Chapter 7, he is the ancient of days. And I'm going to add one like a son of man. This is my Christian understanding of who God is, obviously. Chapter 8, verse 11, the commander of the army of the Lord. Chapter 8, verse 25, the prince of princes. Chapter 9, verse 3, the Lord God. Chapter 9, verse 4, the Lord my God. Notice that we get to chapter 9 before we begin to call God Lord, like the Hebrew name for God. Because it's largely been about not Hebrews up to this point. It's been about the Gentiles. Chapter 9, verse 4, the Lord, the great and awesome God. Chapter 9, verse 9, the Lord our God who is merciful, who is forgiving. Chapter 9, 25, he is the anointed one. He is also the ruler. Chapter 11, he is their God. That is to say, he is the people's God. I just find great hope when I realize that that that's who my God is because how I see God changes how I see everything else. I'm going to pray that for our lives. This one like the Son of Man came and laid down his life for us. That's not exactly in this part of the book of Daniel, but I am going to suggest to us that it is specifically and precisely outlined in a few weeks. We'll see. But as he laid down his life, he did it so I could have a relationship with this God and have real hope. Do you have that hope? We always end our service with two prayers. The first is a prayer of salvation. If you need that hope today, you can have that hope today. You can begin a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. Just right here, right now. Maybe you'd pray with me just like this. Maybe you're watching online and you'd pray, Dear Jesus, thank you that you are the God-man, God in the flesh, and that you laid down your life for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you're not dead, that you came out of that tomb alive. And since you're alive, I turn to you, I put my faith in you, and I ask you to take over my life be the king of my heart. Put your kingdom inside of me and put me in your kingdom. Rule my life, Jesus. Make me more like you. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer just now, man, I'd love to know that. We celebrate that regularly. And we love celebrating that. And if that's you, again, online or in person, you can tell me on a communication card. You can just find me and tell me. You can email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at harvestchurcheugene.com. You can tell someone who invited you. But man, tell somebody. I needed to be reminded today that the King of Kings is the Lord of Lords, is the ruler of rulers. I want to pray that for your life. So as a prayer of application or a prayer of discipleship, I want to pray our second prayer. Maybe you'd pray this with me. Again, dear Jesus, thank you that you are sovereign and you are God. Thank you that your kingdom will never end and that in the end, you always win. So keep my eyes on you and my hope in your kingdom. And as you taught me to pray, I pray your kingdom come.
your will be done. Not only on earth, but in my life, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.